0: Well, hey guys, uh, welcome to the pre-intro to the original intro that I'd already recorded uh, to the Bowhunting Soul podcast. Um, I thought I'd do this this extra little... Pre intro, I guess, because um, I just recently uh, finished the Joel Turner course, and I wanted to kind of speak a little bit about that. I wanted to dedicate a little bit more time to that uh, ahead of the regular podcast. So, as you know, this podcast is partially um, supported by the the Pack, the Push Archery Center of Knowledge, where we got uh, you know Joel Turner's course, uh, we got the Tom Clum course, you've got John Demer's course, we got a, f- a couple others on there. So, I finally finished the the Joel Turner course, and uh, I wanted to do not even like a review of it, but just um, my kind of quick thoughts on it. Now, prior to going into the course, I thought, well, you know, wh- what am I really going to learn? Um, because, you know, Joel Turner has been on like a billion podcasts, there's like hours and hours and hours and hours of him talking about uh, how he teaches things and all these concepts that, uh, you know, that are in the course. And, you know, you got to wonder, like, okay, well, it's kind of free knowledge out there that he's been on doing this stuff. Um, how-, how much extra you know, can I really glean by, by paying for this course? And I'm going to say, even if you know, like 80, 90% of this stuff, there's, it's worth it because there's little nuggets of information in there that just kind of like pop at you. Like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take this little thing and use it to make my shooting better. Now um, I had given up all my clickers. Uh, they're either out of the house, they're gone. They're in the garbage. Uh, I don't know, many, many months back, maybe five, six, seven, eight months back. I can't remember. And I've been trying to use the feather to nose now. Anytime you, you, you go to any kind of like mental trigger or like psycho trigger or like a mechanical trigger, whatever, you're going to have trigger panic, right? Uh, it, it, at first, it's great. It's the honeymoon phase. Oh, the clicker is awesome. But then sooner or later, you start anticipating Setting off the clicker, so then you don't actually concentrate on the motion of of back tension and expanding, and it just gets longer and longer and longer, and you you end up shortening that core, shortening that core. Like, oh, maybe my jaw length's a little too long, and shorter, shorter, shorter. Well, pretty soon, you know, if you have a 28 inch draw, you end up with like you know 25 and a half, and you're like, wait a minute, this is going in the wrong direction. So anytime you have any kind of those triggers, you're going to have trigger panic. Okay, at least that's the case for most people. Certainly was for me, Uh, and I knew that it was going to happen with the feather to nose because it's just another trigger right so um of course like I expected it's happening so um the 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 best way to I guess kind of alleviate any of that is is I know the path is toward proper expansion proper mental focus and uh not necessarily relying on some sort of uh what Joel calls a mechanoreceptive trigger um for some people it works. For me it didn't. And I gotta work really, really hard at it. But one of the one 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 nugget of information in there that I found that was just awesome was he starts talking about uh, you know, like a trigger panic and then pretty soon or you know, clicker panic, you're gonna anticipate it. Feather to nose, you're gonna anticipate it. Uh and then he says, you know, what about a, a mental um uh, uh trigger and one of them is the actual expansion itself and and i had just literally thought of that like hmm, maybe i you know I, I i was watching this and i'm like he's talking to me right here on the entire course right because i'd heard all the other stuff before and i've been trying to implement it for years and stuff and it's still a struggle right but um you know i came to the conclusion like man i those are those are failing me those mechanical percept uh, me- or uh, uh, psycho triggers are failing me and he said Playing on the screen, almost like he's talking to me. Hey, these things might not work, and you're eventually going to get, you know, trigger panic. So fantastic! I'm like he's speaking to me, and uh, there's a nugget in there that says, you know, the, the expansion of the stuff. You get the full draw. You're at full draw. You're at good hold, and then at the actual expansion itself is the trigger to let go. And I'm like, thank God, that's exactly what I've been trying to get to. So um, anyway, that's just one little uh, cool little nugget in there. The course is really, really well laid out. Um, there's a lot of stuff that repeats itself. There's uh, repeat footage of uh, it looks like it was reshot, you know. So there's old footage and new footage, but it keeps reiterating the same the same concepts to you over and over again. And again, you have to work for it. It doesn't work for you. So it's uh, I, I'm not saying I'm cured of, of target panic or or being able to expand properly. I'm struggling through that right now. But it's uh, the concepts are there. The concepts are certainly there, and it's definitely definitely worth a look. So anyway, um, uh, next course I'm going to jump onto is the Tom Clum course. I I really want to, you know, get into understanding how the skeletal structure and and all that stuff really works. And it's going to make it easier for me to get to what I should be at a natural, you know, full draw and then uh, apply Joel Turner's concepts of being able to get a proper release and, uh, you know, trigger mental trigger, whatever have you based off of that stable platform. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So anyway, uh, in a few seconds here, you're going to hear me do this, uh, the other, the real intro that I recorded, but I just thought I'd, uh, I'd throw this little mini commercial out there because it really has helped me and I'm looking forward to the other courses. So go check out uh, all these courses at the and uh, Merry Christmas guys and enjoy the episode. Well hey everybody, welcome to the Boning Soul podcast. Thanks for joining me again. Okay, so it is almost Christmas. We're just a few days before Christmas. I'm recording this on Wednesday before Christmas. So, um, hope you guys have had great seasons. I know some seasons seasons are still in swing. Um, I highly doubt I'm gonna get out any more, uh, at least for deer, before the end of the year. Our season ends on the 20, uh, 31st. Um, maybe, might be able to eke out an afternoon here, maybe one, but I, I highly, highly doubt it. Just so, so busy. You know, it's family time, work time, all that stuff. So. Um, but it's been a good year, so you know you guys have kind of heard uh, my whole story from this year, and uh, you know I feel pretty good about it. I really do. I think I made uh, you know leaps and bounds improvements in in, in all kind of aspects. You know, with with shooting and being successful, and um, just you know learning more and woodsmanship and all that stuff. And uh, you know, pretty proud of it. Pretty pretty happy with the season. So it's been good. It's been good. So hope your seasons have been uh, good as well. Hope uh, you guys are going into this holidays uh, last few days here with the holidays. Um, you know healthy and happy and with with family and all that kind of stuff and uh, stay safe throughout the, the new year um so you know, these, these episodes have kind of been kind of farther and farther apart. You know, I try to do them every two weeks, but, um, you know, it's just a typical hunting season, right? Everyone's busy. Guests are busy and trying to make all these, uh, all these things align all at once is really, really difficult. So, I uh, finally was able, uh, to talk to a guy I've been trying to get on for a little, uh, for a little while. His name is Tyler Skoransky. I hope I said that right. I'm recording the intro about an hour and a half after I talked to him. So, um, he's out in New York he Has got a great YouTube channel, uh, hitting the dream. It's H uh, I I T, hitting the dream, and uh, yeah, you guys go uh, go check him out. Really passionate sportsman. Really cares about the outdoors. Really cares about hunting. Uh, you know, uh, he's he, he's a bow hunter. He's a rifle hunter. He's a stick bow hunter. Compound, compound, everything, right? Just uh, really passionate about just being out there. So I'm really really glad that I got a chance to talk to him. It was uh, it was um, it, it was it was a fun conversation. Learned a lot. And, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely worth a listen. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. If uh, you guys like this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. It's uh, super, super big. Leave a rating. And um, I guess that's it. I'm not going to ramble on too much longer here. So everybody have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I will see you guys in the new year, hopefully with uh, more episodes that aren't so far stretched apart. And I guess with that, uh, here's my interview with Tyler Skaronski. say starting recording on your end or at least the counter should start pretty soon yep says recording on your end cool okay so recording there we go now start recording all right cool awesome so uh tyler you just you just told me this skaronski correct yes sir yes nailed it okay cool um, So thanks for doing this. Uh, We're doing this on how many days before uh, Christmas? Like just a few days before Christmas, right?
1: Yeah, about four, Uh, I think we're looking at right now.
0: Yeah, it's a a Wednesday night, and uh, we've been trying to get together with you um, just to kind of do this podcast and learn a little bit more more about you. I started following you on YouTube, and uh, you have a channel. It's called uh, Hitting the Dream and um we're gonna get into that because i'm really i, I really want to know how you came up with i think i think i know how you came up with that name but i can't quite remember it but um i started watching your stuff um you know you're you're like a really passionate hunter you hunt with all kinds of equipment of course i was kind of i i i um i found you via like like the traditional route you know right but um i saw you, you know you, you hunt with everything else and i'm like okay well it's uh you know, somebody i want to kind of get to know so thanks for coming on
1: definitely i really appreciate it. i love talking hunting so it's as long as i have the time for it i'm definitely gonna make i'm happy i was able to get the time to you know talk to you in person and, and meet you and everything
0: yeah no absolutely so um you are in new york correct yes sir you're in new york and you said uh well what do you do out there you said you do, as a side kind of hustle you do like tree like like an arborist tree trimming kind of or stuff like that or
1: yeah so i uh after i graduated college i was just looking for a job and i got a job as an arborist for a t- local tree company right where i grew up and uh ironically that later on we can get into it but that's what got me more into when i started hunting out of a saddle it was the comfort mm-hmm. of doing it for eight hours a day that made it easy to get into the tree with it you know Yeah, but uh Yeah. So I started doing that. I do that on the side, but outside of that, I'm just actually, uh, I work for my local municipality, you know, good pay, good benefits, you know, one day I want to have a family. So, you know, kind of planning ahead and get a lot of vacation time so I can go hunting and fishing and do all that (laughs) stuff, which is always a bonus.
0: That's awesome. Where, where in New York are you?
1: Uh, the Western part of New York. So most people, I just say Buffalo, but I'm about half hour, 45 minutes outside of Buffalo to the East.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. So So I'm
1: probably like 45 minutes from Niagara Falls. And then that's a little bit north of this actual city of Buffalo. I'm on the western half of Buffalo, or like the complete west side of New York, but, um, but just outside of Buffalo, like I said.
0: Got it um so you're you're used to the cold we're uh we're we're in the middle of um well it's, it's never as bad as they say right like kind of blizzard, mageddon out here you know yeah you know, seven eight inches of snow well we got like five but we're supposed oh. to get this crazy uh crazy high winds like tomorrow and friday and we do get that and all that shit just blows around and you know big uh you know makes big uh snow drifts and things like that so i'm uh just kind of sitting at home tonight, and um, you know, <laughs> getting the podcast on before
1: you know Christmas comes around. Oh heck yeah, yeah! We're looking at part of our issue is I guess my assumption has something to do with the warm, the like the temperature of the lakes because right mm-hmm. where I am, we're pinched right between uh, Erie and Ontario, and the concern they're having is we're supposed to get some warmer weather tomorrow, and then Friday morning is supposed to drop down, so it's going to soak everything with sleet and rain and then that's going to drop it's supposed to go down to like seven degrees it's supposed to freeze and then the snow is supposed to come in with the wind so they're like people think it's the end of the world over here i think it's just another day in buffalo but we'll see what happens when it actually comes through
0: exactly i like watching kind of people freak out you know i mean it's like minus seven or whatever today or whatever it's like eh, you know it's it's winter you know I, i have a neighbor here um like two doors down And, you know, he, he loves summer and I absolutely cannot stand summer. I mean, I hate summer with a passion, you know, I just, I, oh yeah. And like every time, like we, uh, we see each other, uh, our kids go go to the same school. So we're in the pickup line, right? He just comes Mm -hmm. shaking his head every time. He's like, you caused this. I'm like, I did not cause this, but I will take this over, you know, 80% humidity and like 90 degree weather a
1: hundred days in a row. He's like, you're crazy. Oh, heck yeah. I'm like, like nope, nope. I love this. People at work are freaking out, and I'm trying to figure out what spot I'm going to duck hunting on Saturday. They're like, "You're doing what?" <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, so let's
0: get into that. So, I mean, you you you've been hunting a long time, it seems like, right? I mean, i like I said, I, I watched your YouTube stuff. I haven't watched all of it, but I mean, you go back like many many years. I found a video from like six seven years ago, and oh, yeah. um, you know, uh, the, this morning. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he's been at this like quite a while. And, um, why don't we just kind of get into that? Like, I mean, how, what was your
1: introduction to to hunting growing up? Yeah. So my, my dad's side of the family w- has been hunters as far back as generations could, you know, as far back as we have pictures or have stories that are still floating around. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that's where I get most of it from. My mom's side did a little bit, but not really had influ- any influence on me other than like, I still stop at those grandparents' house when I. When I get a deer or something, cause he enjoys talking about it, but yeah, um, my dad's side, my, so the stories that I have are like from my great grandfather and he was like the typical came over here from overseas and you know, he went rabbit hunting because that was just another way to put meat in the freezer and you went deer hunting and every deer that we had a tag for, you killed cause you needed it for the, you know, the, I mean, it was literally how they survived. It was just part of a way of life back then. Yeah. Then my grandfather kind of got a little bit away, you know, they were still hunting to survive, but a little bit more enjoyment, you know, just like how you'd imagine generation to generation. Then, you know, my dad, and then I came up, uh, you know, learning it from my grandfather and dad, but mostly even with that, I will say though, it was 99% my dad, cause my grandfather lives in Illinois actually. So he, he comes back every once in a while to hunt and stuff like that. But like I said, definitely a generational thing on, on the Skaransky side. And I've pretty much just been hunting ever since I can remember, you know, I remember staying up and peeking out the window and my mom thinking I was in bed and dad would back the trailer in or something. And I'd see a deer hanging off. I go running downstairs, blow through the front door and be like, I thought you were asleep. Well, dad's got a deer, you know, and just when I, <laughs> I was even old enough to go, you know? Yeah. And that just, that, I think that come combined with just the uh, like the, the respect aspect that my, my, family always just like ingrained into my brain it just it, it I think what made it so addicting to me was that they made sure that like the respect and the appreciation for what you were getting from nature was recognized so it was like I was able to see it for the like recreational side but I was also able to see like how powerful it was you know like you know it fed the family it, you know, it, it gave back, it wasn't just like a a kill sport, you know? So I was just infatuated with it from a really young age because of that. And it just pretty much never went away. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, you certainly understood the, you know, where food comes from, I suppose, you know,
0: at an early age.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You know? Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. Were you, uh, so, so what was your first like kind of memories hunting? I mean, was it, you know, small game shotgun, did you go out with the bow and arrow?
1: Honestly, most of mine were, were, Deer hunting with my dad. I mean, we did a little bit. I mean, I remember when I was young, my uh I used to, I got this dry erase board and my dad had never really turkey hunted all that much. But like I said, I was pretty much just infatuated with anything and everything outdoors. So I had this dry erase board and he was at the time working a night shift, so he wouldn't be there to say goodnight to me and my brother. And uh I would write, Can we go spring turkey hunting? Yes or no, and I'd leave the marker next to it. <laughs> and I'd wait for like every morning I'd wake up and look to see if he circled it and he didn't circle it for a while and come to find you know l- later on down the road he was just trying to like wrap his brain around like do I even have all the stuff to do that I haven't done that since my dad lived here and so finally he found all of his old turkey gear and all that kind of stuff and we and we ended up going out and those were the first memories I have of me actually carrying a weapon but I actually went deer hunting before I ever did anything else my dad um was was and I'd say up until 2 or 3 years ago just a primarily a deer hunter that's really all he did. We went out turkey hunting sometimes but it was it was like an opening day type of thing. And uh the deer hunting was just what he always did. He always bow hunted, always gun hunted. So I was able to go bow hunting with him when I was probably I bet you I was I bet you, because I could turkey on at 12, so I bet you I was probably 8 or 10 when he started letting me go with him, and I'd go, you know, early in the season when the weather was still a little bit nicer, and my mom was cool with me going with him to stands that were already set up and stuff like that, and a little bit after that, we ended up getting kicked off of the private property that my dad had had permission for for years, and uh, through a, a removed now uncle, we found some different chunks of public land and we started hunting public land so there's a little stint right there where i didn't go as much because it was you know using climbers or doing whatever and my mom was like he's just not ready for that but pretty soon after that uh i started going again with my dad when i when my mom and dad felt i was old enough and then pretty much that i'd say 11 12 years old all the way until now i'm just turned 28 so i've pretty much been in the woods as many days each fall as i physically can that's,
0: I mean, that, that's awesome. And it sounds like you got like a good kind of rounded, uh, uh, base for like hunting all kinds of, all kinds of animals. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't just like, um, cause a lot of times like, yeah, especially nowadays, right. It seems like kids, um, and, and whether we see it just on social media and that's all we see or whether it's true or not, you know, but it's, it seems like, well, they just like, they're, they're after like, like deer, just big deer, you know what I mean? Yeah. They go right to that thing. And, um, you know, I don't know, not tell anyone how to raise their kids, but it's like, I don't know. It's it's. It seems like some of that. Like I didn't grow up hunting. You know, I didn't grow up as as a kid hunting. But so maybe I don't have a right to speak about it. But it seems like some of those old traditions of like at least getting started in hunting when you're a new hunter. You you know you do the whole progression of small game. Then you move a little bigger, and then you shoot you know your doe, and then you know if you're into big racks and bucks and stuff like that, then you work your way up. You know, and um, it it sounds like you did that. You know. Yeah, that,
1: I'd agree with that. I mean, I didn't get too much into a lot of the small game when I was younger, but. <laughs> To your point, I will say later on in college, I had met a kid that is yeah. now, he is like one of my best friends. And uh, he was a huge waterfowler. I was a huge deer hunter and we both got yeah, each there. other. Are you there? Yep, yeah, there we
0: go. Yeah, you didn't... Yeah, this, this. I swear this, I don't know whether it's this uh, headset or not, but anyway, you left off on, you said you didn't get into too much of the small game.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, so other than a little bit of turkey hunting, I didn't get into too much small game with my father. Like I said, he was a big deer hunter. But to the point that you made, um, I got really more into that, the small game stuff when I was in college, cause I had buddies that always wanted to go out. So I was like, Oh, I can grab my shotgun. We can go squirrel hunting." and I grab my shotgun. We could do this, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, the, the biggest learning lesson for me was I, I met a guy when I was in college and he was a freshman when I was a senior. And now he's like my younger brother, me and him talk about hunting and hunt together all the time now. But he was a huge waterfowler. I was a huge deer hunter and we both got each other into the, you know, the opposing and just becoming a waterfowler and learning how to waterfowl hunt. And, um, something as simple as like, obviously waterfowl is a lot of communication back and forth with the animal. You got to call to them, know when to call, when not to call before I waterfowl hunted. I thought that no deer was callable. You could never call it a deer. Every time you grunted, they just turned and walked away. And then all of a sudden I started to understand a little bit more about animal behavior through something that had nothing to do with deer. I was out duck hunting, but being able to read an animal's body language now in the last, uh, cause I've only been waterfowl hunting now for probably five years in the last three or four years of deer hunting, I've called more deer in you know, to my tree or within shooting range than I did the previous 10 years of my hunting career. So it's just, it's just like, like to your point, I think it's a, it's a very valuable thing to hunt other things and learn other aspects of nature. Cause there's always little parts from one that you can take to the other that I think that, you know, can make you a better hunter. You know, if you, if you really love deer hunting, but second to that, you love duck hunting. Well, you're going to learn things from both of them that you can put into practice that'll probably maybe not hit you right in the face day one, but later down the line, like it happened for me, you're gonna be like, oh crap, I would have never even learned that if I didn't do X, Y, Z. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. Mine kind of came a little bit backwards, but I'm happy with the place where I'm at now and being involved in all of it really, really helps you learn different aspects of what nature can really offer.
0: Yeah, you know, I wish I get to go um, like waterfowl hunting more. I mean, I've only been, I'm going to say maybe like less than a dozen times, right? Um, it, yeah. More more than half a dozen, less than a dozen. But, um, and of course, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I go out with, with my buddy who has a boat, you know? Oh, perfect. Um, <laughs> which is which is like the perfect thing, right? Because I mean, it's a lot of work. It just, uh, oh, you, know, the, you know, the boat and the decoys and this and that. I mean, and the storage and you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes like extra paraphernalia that goes with waterfowl, you know. Um, so I always say the best thing you can have for, for waterfowl hunting is, is a buddy and then just give him some gas money, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, at the end of the and day, he gets I to exercise, deal with all that. That's definitely true. <laughs> but, um, no, and I wish I get to do, I didn't, I didn't get to go at all this year. Uh, waterfowl. I don't think I went last year either. So right. it's just finding time, you know what I mean? Like is, is just paramount with, uh, um,
1: well, we got so anything. much more into it because my dad, he started to get to the point where, I mean, he's, he still deer hunts a lot too. But it is it is a nice change of scenery after the solitude of deer season to be with mm-hmm. your buddies and shoot the shit and, and you know, just have a good old time talking and relaxing and still hunting and doing something you love. But you don't have to be as so, you know, your scent doesn't matter, your, how loud you're talking, mm-hmm. really, generally speaking, doesn't matter, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So it became a refreshing change. And then honestly, I think my dad's getting to the point where he enjoys waterfowl hunting more for whatever reason it is specific, whether it's those, those reasons or others. But, you yeah. know, I mean, probably cause we get to hunt, you know, it's, it's enjoyable that I've always had him as a hunting partner, but now, you know, deer hunting, it's, I go this way, you go that way. So I think maybe he's just enjoying having me back with him again, type of thing. Yep. Yeah. But it, it's, it's definitely, a, it's a, it's a nice change of scenery. It, it kind of makes the season feel well-rounded rather than just being after deer for 30, 40 days out of the year or whatever it is
0: yeah I, I i hear you you know I, I love the solitude of just being alone and doing stuff on my own but um you know my when when someone says you know duck hunting or waterfowl uh, again not not that i've done it all that often but my memory of it immediately like what you know that kind of the flash image that you have goes mm-hmm. to like you know 15 minutes before shooting light you're sitting there watching you know kind of gray light not even gray light you kind of, they start to kind of peek around and you're huddled over um a thermos of coffee and you're just bsing you know sitting in the boat with with yeah. your buddy right and talking sure. anything from family to politics to whatever and you know it's not even about the you know the, the shooting of the ducks it's just that one kind of snapshot of of sharing this kind of hunting experience with 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 a buddy you know that's that's uh, i like that Oh, no, without a doubt yeah yeah absolutely um so you uh, you you kind of mentioned that one helped you out with another, and I'd never really even thought about that. Um, I kind of want to dive into that because I'm really interested. Like, um, let, Let's go a little bit deeper into how kind of vocalizations and calling and things like that changed how you deer hunt. And I want to kind of hear some um, uh, like kind of firsthand accounts of, of, of when it
1: worked for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I guess one that sticks right off the top of my brain would be uh this year i called at a i had a buck come in i i was holding this one spot that i i i attempt not to hunt it until everything is perfect every once in a while my excitement gets the best of me type of spot but Mm -hmm. i've shot two of my biggest bucks i've ever killed there um i shot a 500 pound black bear there like i shot my my biggest turkey there i i the spot the heaven ridge when i talked to my friends and family and they just know they might not know where the tree is but they know where i'm talking type of thing is it so just I like loaded it. with acorns and and, and like not mass even, crops or it, what it does have acorns the thing that i think really helps it out the most is it's just it's kind of like a flat top ridge that's at its widest point if you don't take in like the secondary fingers coming off of it mm-hmm. Um is maybe only 60 yards wide, but then you have these secondary fingers coming off of it side to side. So looking down from a topographic map, it looks very similar to like a Christmas tree, you know, a skeleton of a Christmas tree where you have the main stem, which would be the main ridge and then just multiple finger ridges. But at this Mm -hmm. one point, instead of all of them coming off at different points, at one point, there's, like, three ridges on the north side and two on the south side that all come together, and it just uh, consolidates so much movement. Now, it's not always right in front of you, especially when we're talking bow season, but I've I found a couple of trees based on different winds and stuff like that that, like, those are the spots to sit. Now, there's been days I've seen, and New York isn't known for being, like, a crazy good deer state or a big buck state. There's been days I've sat there on public land and saw 53 deer in a day during both, oh. you know, and it's like, and it's all, and you know, was it, was those three does that went by an hour ago? Is this the same three coming back the other direction or he went down in the ravine and came up the finger behind me? I obviously can't attest to whether or not that's true, but I had. 53 deer encounters the, and I'm only remembering that one specifically because the 53rd deer that I saw was one of the bucks I'm looking at on the wall right now hmm. but so that spot is so good for that reason it has a little bit of mass has a lot of these secondary fingers that allow for a lot of a lot of bedding opportunity it's really not overly thick but there is some henlock, um like transition which helps but even those are I mean most of them their canopies don't start for six to 10 feet up you know so it's not like coverage all the way to the ground it's more I think the topographical um advantages that the deer have there more so than like the thick cover per se sure but uh so I was I had held this spot off and I finally decided I was going to go in I had a, a uh an east wind a south what was it a no, it was a northeast, because normally I like hunting on a southeast just because of the access. Yep. But went to hunt it, wanted to hunt it on a northeast wind, had a buck come to my east, and when I saw him, normally I would have either just not called at all because I was fully convinced years ago that calling was like an ineffective tactic, or I would have waited for him to get as close as I wanted him to get. And then when he wasn't close enough to shoot, then I'd grunt at him. Well, through waterfowl hunting, I learned pretty quickly that unless they're coming right to you on a bead, it's almost better just to let him know, like, hey, I'm here. So as this buck had come across, I see, I see he's going to get up to the ridge. I let him get off the one finger. He hits the main ridge. Now there's a couple of bigger trees in between me, maybe a, a small hemlock or two. And I just I gave him one good long grunt. He kept walking. And I gave him a bruh, bruh, again. He turned and looked, and I just stopped, and I let his curiosity take over. Now, at that point, I probably would have kept running years ago because I was like, oh, my God, it did something. Well, now I knew there's no reason to talk. He's already on his way. Let Let him dictate what I need to do from now on. So he came closer, and much like a duck, if a duck circles, then all of a sudden you're not calling, and they start working away. It's like, okay, well, now I need to get back on him because – that duck is basically telling me that either he doesn't see what i'm with my spread that i put out or that's just what he's liking today he's like hearing that the chatter of the, the ducks on the water or whatever the situation is so this deer actually ends up coming 10 yards closer looking looking doesn't really see anything nothing really catches his attention so now i let him start working off a little bit he gets behind a little bit more cover once again Something that I probably wouldn't have done years ago On top of it you know I would have just grunted at him Right away in panic mode Mm -hmm. This time though Instead of now he's already thought That he knew where something was and he looked In that direction didn't see it so instead of Grunting right in the same direction That I did right at him I blew This one underneath my My armpit to my left so I Grunted to the west Trying to make it sound like this deer was Still over there but maybe farther than he Originally thought that Buck heard it again but now this time when he looked I'm assu- you know you can only assume but I'm hoping that what I thought I was doing is what worked because that time he turned bristled up and walked all the way right to the base of the tree The only mistake that I made that day was that I decided to walk across a trail that I never walked across and uh, he got my ground scent when I was at full draw before he cleared the tree that I needed him to clear got it but like i said i think a lot of those situations are stuff that i learned maybe not even i know i brought in some waterfowl examples there but i think more so than anything was just learning how to not just call and assume that that's going to be the magic antidote but actually watching the deer and let his body language dictate what is going to work here you know you can't just grunt nonstop and think that it's going to bring every deer and some deer might not like that some you might have to snort wheeze at some, you might just have to do a real soft contact grunt and you have to be able to read their body language. If you really want calling for deer, just like for waterfowl to work as effectively as possible. What, um,
0: what grunt call are you using? Do you, have you, um, do you have like a, like a favorite or,
1: um, I have a Quaker boy brawler or something. I think it's called. Honestly, I only have it because I Got it through some free basket at some event, but I will say, and there might be, and I'm only saying that it doesn't have to be this specific call because there might be one that's similar. The thing I like about this one is it has a hard plastic section on the top that holds the reed. Then it goes to a very soft plastic or like almost like rubber glove, similar material that's corrugated. And then it goes down once again to another piece of hard plastic that would be like the open end of it. Mm -hmm. Well, I took, you can take that hard, that hard end off of it. And it allows me to manipulate the sound coming out of the call with my hand because it's such a soft, pliable material that makes up the center of the call. And I like that a lot because it allows me to really quiet it down and muffle it with my hand. If I need to, it allows me to kind of, Similar to a duck call, how you uh, you blow through it, and you open your hand as you do to try to give more of that quack sound rather than yep. just yeah. I can kind of do that same thing with the grunt call and kind of you know kind of give it more like the deer's open its mouth. And maybe it's me more than anything. Maybe it makes me feel more confident. But it, to me, it sounds more real. And at the same time, whether it was causation or correlation. I've had more success calling. So I just really like that call. Not to say that there isn't one that isn't similar, but that's just the one that I've been using. Interesting. Have you ever had any luck with the snort wheeze? <laughs> this year was the first year I ever did. I snort wheezed one buck in twice in like 10 minutes. <laughs> no kidding. Yep. I got permission on a piece here close to home that my uh, cousin's in law actually bought. And uh, I had a small buck walk out and just for. For the fun of it, I grunted at him, and he looked at me and didn't think much of it. He went out, started eating. He ends up walking back towards the woods, and I'm like, I'm going to grunt at him again. So I grunted at him again. He looks, keeps walking. I grunted one real loud one at him. But this time, instead of looking at me, he looks behind himself. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I look up. Boom. Here's this buck standing out there. Now, he is only a seven-pointer, but it had like a 22-inch spread on it. It's the widest buck I've ever like personally come in contact with in the woods. And he steps out of this pine thicket and he comes all the way across right to where that small buck was, pushes him off. And in the interim of that happening, I'm like trying to, you know, I'm trying to get the camera on him. I got this all on videotape and I'm trying to get it all figured out. And uh, I grunted him. He looks. He starts walking away because there was a doe. It was late October, so, you know, everything's starting to get good. And uh, he starts walking away. And I'm like, well, I could tell that he just immediately pushed that smaller buck off. So, I'm going to try it. What's the worst that's going to happen? I got other hunting spots if I mess this one up. I snort wheeze at him. That buck turned on a dime, came right to the probably about 45 yards, which I would have been comfortable with taking the shot if I if I felt like that was my only opportunity, but he came right to this like willow tree, and he stayed on the back side of it like a bush more than a tree. and starts, you know, pawing up the ground and kind of looking around. He's not overly uh overly aggressive, but he obviously was to an extent because he came into the wheeze. Yeah, he starts walking away from me. So I let him get probably a hundred and fifty ish yards out before I called to him again. I grunted, he looked over his shoulder. He kept walking. And I snort wheezed at him one more time. He turned on a dime, walked right to 30 yards, still didn't have a shot because he was basically walking straight at me at first. Gets to that same willow tree on my side now, thrashes the ever-living crap out of it, rakes the ground, there's mud flying everywhere. He cuts into the woods. Now he's probably 25 yards from me. And I had to make the decision because I wasn't in my saddle. I was in a a permanent set that I made. Mm -hmm. I had to make the decision, do I go on the right side or the left side of the tree? If I go on the right side of the tree, I have to make the shot happen in his next like three, four steps. If I get on the left side of the tree, I'll probably have that same shot in two or three steps. But then I'll have more opportunity to keep swinging away from the tree as he came through. And so I made the decision to go on the left side. When I did that, the wind was... the reason he went in the woods was not only because he didn't see a deer but he also wanted to get the wind i think and he got he i mean two more steps and i had the pin waiting for him in the opening and he just did what older deer do and caught my wind right before it was time to let one fly and he, he crashed down through the woods i had a shot at him through the woods at about 42 yards but it was a hard quarter and uh I had a similar situation happen with another big buck that I luckily did harvest, but, uh, I made a very immature decision at the time in my hunting career and similar thing. He did that, that deer did not smell me, but he spooked. And I took a shot when he was quartering hard like that. And when he dropped to turn away, I just got lucky and I hit the femoral artery, Mm. but having that experience in the back of my mind and the, the discomfort with not knowing if it was an ethical shot or was it me that made a bad shot or did the deer move and all those emotions that came with that experience I completely deferred to even attempt the shot on this other big deer because I'd rather wait and live to live to fight another day type of situation rather than put an animal through any sort of agony that isn't needed so but he That's, did he did survive I did see him yesterday so <clears throat> Oh, okay.
0: That, 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 that's cool. I mean, I, I always like to, to find out what, you know, if, if, you know, grunting and things like that actually work, um, like outside of like the rut and pre-rut, you know what I mean? Like, like mid, oh, yeah. early to mid September or like late season, you know, I think, um, I think it seems like you need to be like way less, like you said earlier, like not so aggressive, but just kind of let, let, let them know that, Hey, I'm out here. Yeah. And then if that piques their curiosity, they might decide to get, you know, kind of wander over and see what's up, just for, just for the sake of, you know, seeing who's around. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't, I don't think it, it kind of like energizes them to be like. Cause I, I don't think like late season or early season, I don't think they're in that territorial kind of mindset anymore. They're just, you know, early season, they're, you know, whatever they're in early season patterns and late season, they're just trying to survive. Right. I mean, like right. <laughs> find food and not get into, you know, not waste uh, energy and stuff with, uh, with fights and things like that, you know, but, um, I asked this on the, uh, on, on the push, uh, uh, Facebook group there about the can, you know, the can call the bleat call, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've carried one for years. And, you know, my, my hunting time is like rather limited. Right. So like my database from my experiences, like you you can't, you know, you you can't really judge it off of that. So I said, Hey, does this actually work for you guys? You know, have have you ever actually had it? And like, overwhelmingly everyone said, Oh yeah, I've called them in, worked like a charm, blah, 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 blah. I've used one for years. I've never called one in with that thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've got, I've got buddies, dads that I, one of them I work with and stuff like they swear by it. It's yeah. the one call that they, they'd leave the grunt call in their truck before they left that in the truck.
0: I think I would, too, because it makes more sense to have, uh you know, my thought, right, is, you know, have a, have a doe. A, you got a doe sound, so it's going to bring in a buck if he's interested. Or it's going to bring in another doe and make the other does feel comfortable because, you know, it's another doe, right? Sure. And you're not going to scare off a doe uh, by, you know, a, a buck call or whatever. So I, I, I'm just curious, like, what, you know, what the... And I try not to get like overly aggressive with using these things, you know, Um, but then sometimes you were sitting there for hours and hours and hours and you know better and you just like turn that stupid thing over and over and over again. Right. And then like, you know, you sound ridiculous and you're probably hurting your chances at that point. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious
1: what your thoughts were on that one. Yeah. Like I said, I know guys that they will that is their go to call and they will not go into the woods without it. I personally have never had. As much luck with it, and I do per I do think because that buck that I snort wheezed in this year on that specific property, I saw more bucks than I see does when I hunt there, and that more aggressive tactic and calling in general worked almost flawlessly every time I used it. Even when I grunted at you know that one buck, I got his attention. He didn't come in, but maybe that's a personality trait. Um, the, the other buck I snort wheezed twice. I actually ended up grunting him in another week later when I made a decoy and he came into the decoy, but he did something. I didn't, ex- he went so far down maybe it's because he was skeptical of the, the area after his last interaction or whatever happened there. But, um, so overall, overwhelm overwhelmingly the calling worked better there where the spot where I did call that I was talking about that archery buck that I didn't get the shot on this year calling there generally i don't seem to have as much luck with and i think a big part of that is the buck to doe ratio there's a lot more i see more does and i see bucks there and the the terrain itself is so much bigger that i feel like you don't have the consolidation of animals so unless it is in their personality or if it's just that time of year when they're fired up i think that the deer there are like well i don't really need to go out of my way to go fight because it's so easy for me to get away from this and go find more does yeah yeah yeah, exactly you know more social stuff in a different direction so Hmm, i I think it's i would say that i i could see why that that can call would work i have never had my own personal experiences with it to say you know overwhelmingly it's the best call in the world but i could definitely see a a time and place where it would work yeah yeah i've called doze in with my mouth just like bleating that doze with my mouth and especially in that situation i've there's numerous times where I could have shot does, and I just did it just to be a, just to be funny, I guess, or see if it would work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I had them walk right up to me. I've it's tried that. Fun. I've tried mimicking
0: mimicking those. Um, yeah, I can't you know can't quite do it. I've I've done it just for uh, you know shits and giggles like turkey hunting. Yeah, and I can probably get like a like a like a hen cluck um, uh better you know uh yeah. than than uh than I can a deer grunt let's say you know what I mean yeah, uh, a buck sure. grunt but uh, no it's, it's it's still fun to kind of do it besides sometimes I mean they, they fire off and they and they answer to anything right so, uh, turkeys <laughs> right so, Oh yeah, sure. you know so it's not like I'm pulling off some like master uh calling uh feet or anything like that but uh, yeah it's but it's still... always it's always fun to communicate <laughs> that, <laughs> it's fun that's to part
1: do. that's one of the fun things like I've said I've said already on this podcast but just you know either whether it's talking to deer back and forth but obviously deer don't communicate the way waterfowl or turkey do you know that's Mm -hmm. honestly probably even more than killing them is that's the part of it that i enjoy more is the the communication aspect of it and it's probably why some of my buddies out west keep saying dude you ever come elk hunting you're gonna fall in love because it's deer it's hunting giant deer that scream at you and talk back and forth i'm like that sounds pretty sweet yeah no sure um So let's
0: pivot a little bit here. So uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but I mean, how do you approach, um, how do you approach like your hunting spots, right? Um, You said you do some public, you do a little bit of private. Um, So let's just assume it's a place that, let's just assume public, okay. Um, Or it could even be private, whatever, but somewhere where you haven't like hunted a ton, but you've done some scouting or e-scouting or whatever. Um, what is your hunting method? I mean, you said you're in a saddle now. Uh, do you also use like mobile stands? Do you, you know, what, what equipment are you using? How far are you going? You know, kind of, kind of talk through some of that.
1: All right. Yeah. So, uh, I've actually only ever killed three deer on private land my whole life. And those were when I was younger. Uh, pretty much have only ever hunted public land my whole life. So that's an, that's an easier one for me to depict anyway. So we'll, we'll stay with that. Sure. Um, I've hunted public land pretty much my whole life. So it was kind of, at first it was a lot of, um, I don't know if you want to call it stubbornness or what it was, but I was definitely one of those kids where my dad could say, hey, this is the spot, you got to go sit. And I would tell him no, because I was like, if I'm going to shoot one, I want to shoot it in my spot. I want to find the spot. I want to feel like the, I'd rather go through the tough lack of success to learn it than to just go to your spot, dad and kill a deer in your spot that you already know is good oh, so
0: awesome.
1: I think from a really young age that really helped me out because that just it kept me driven to want to learn more like a, a you know I was, I was thirsty for it I just I needed more of it and I could never get enough of it so yeah I I was always kind of just I loved walking around I loved reading sign I always just I always wondered why things did different thing you know why is that blue jay calling? Why is that squirrel chattering right now when it doesn't seem like anything's happened? So I've always been pretty in tune with like all aspects of nature. And I think that that's kind of where I, like my, my scouting developed from. And to be, to be bluntly honest, I'm probably not going to say too much different than a lot of the stuff that you hear on here. So I don't want people listening to think that I'm trying to make it sound like I rewrote the hunting Bible or anything, but I'm big on, uh, my postseason stuff. I normally don't get out too much just specifically for deer, you know, like right now through maybe, uh, March, I'd say a little bit before that, maybe March is when I start really like trying to look for, you know, old sign from the year prior and stuff like that. But, um, Yeah, I get a lot of scouting in that way. I do obviously pay attention to a lot of stuff when I'm rabbit hunting or doing any of that other small game. It's just a great way when you're already, you know, enjoying your time in the woods to just keep some extra notes. E scouting and stuff like that helps nowadays. It's so easy on your phone. You can walk past a giant rub while you're, you know, kicking rabbit bushes and be like, oh crap, I got to remember that for next year. So, um, but after that point, uh, when we're talking towards season, I'm definitely not someone that's afraid to just walk into a brand new spot at dark. If anything, I think i prefer that. It just, there's something about the adventure of not really knowing what the spot looks like and just finding it on a map or, you know, kind of letting the terrain take me in a certain direction. And I just, I weigh a lot of my decisions on previous experience. So like I described earlier in the podcast, that uh, that situation where, and obviously you would see this more on the topographic map, but. A ridge that looks similar to like the skeleton of a pine tree you know where you at some point the the main ridge narrows out and it gets wider at the other end But then you have all these finger ridges coming off of it well if i see something like that on a map in a spot that i've never been to i i'll just walk right to it you know or i'll get okay here's right where the you know the the ditch section or smaller ravine between two of these finger ridges meets the main ridge and I have a wind coming over the top of the ridge. I'm just going to go right there. Maybe I'm not in the spot day one, and maybe I realize I'm 60 yards off, 100 yards off, depending on how much visibility you have. But I lean a lot on those type of situations, uh, or I lean a lot on my past knowledge to make those decisions, and then just kind of let my my instincts take over from that point. When I get in there, you know, does this tree feel right? Nope. Okay. Well. On the map, I really couldn't tell that there was that thick cover, but I can see that thick cover now, and I want to make sure I'm within shooting range of it, because if they come out of it or if they skirt down the edge of it, I don't want to be 100 yards away from it and then learn that lesson when I knew better than to be that far away. And that's, most of my hunting is pretty much dictated around that. I do like to look for a lot of fresh sign when possible. You know, I'll get down after the morning hunt, and instead of just walking right to the truck and having a sandwich, I'll, I'll walk around and do a lot of uh scouting in that way i like to use my glass even though it sounds like something that you can't do in the timber um i'll get up on a ridge and glass down a logging road or something like that and look for scrapes so i don't overly pressure an area or leave scent there that i don't have to until mm-hmm. i'm hunting great point yep uh, you know it's 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 all about being minimally invasive right you don't you yep. don't want to go into something or i personally don't want to go into something and ruin it if i'm gonna ruin it i want to ruin it while i'm hunting you know like and and obviously you don't want to ruin anything but if i'm gonna ruin it i want to feel like i'm in the game and then realize oh crap like the wind's really not good here i kind of funked this one up but you know i learned yeah i'll know that one for next time yeah you know i hunt um uh you still there yes I am oh yeah
0: okay so I hunt like really like thick stuff right like kind of swampy you know uh, like like oaks and river bottoms and swampy areas and things like that same thing you know um people are like well why would you need binoculars when it's that close so you know I've switched over to a stick bow this is year five without shooting a deer with a stick bow by the way right I've had oh, no. success on small games but you know and, and even with the compound right um what you just said is like a shining example like i'm i'm not necessarily looking um 100 yards across a kind of like a cut you know alfalfa field or whatever right, right that you might see on some of these shows um for me it's being able to sit back 50 30 yards 50 yards 60 yards and i know where i want to sit but where i want to sit might be like a like a 10 15 yard 20 yard radius in one area but i want to know which exact tree to go instead of going in and doing like a 20 yard circle 30 yard circle back and forth you know going in a little too far no i went too far i need to back up now well like you said you just ruined it right i mean ruined it once and you know when you're trying to be like 15 and under close um i find that that using binoculars just you know what? What would you call it? Um, it's almost like when it's almost like when deer kind of hold short inside the tree line before crossing into the field. You know they kind of scan right. everything. Yeah,
1: Same sure.
0: kind of thing. You know you're scanning over there, and then I'm looking at trees, and I'm looking at okay, if I pick that tree, uh, how high would I have to need to get? Are there other limbs in the way from other trees? What kind of shooting shooting lanes am I going to have? That way I can go like just to that tree instead of going to that tree and then going 15 yards past the tree and finding out nope nope it was better
1: like 15 yards back. You know what I mean? Well,
0: yeah, so that definitely. helps tremendously.
1: And even another thing, like the number of times I've sat in my tree and I'm, I'm sure, you know, like I said, I'm not saying something no one else does, but you get up in the tree or it's the first time you're in there. Cause you, you realize you had to be a hundred yards farther and you get up that tree in the dark and you get up and now you're looking around and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're just barely finding, you're seeing something that just doesn't look just something about is just off. And is that a scrape or Is that a rub? And, mm-hmm. you know, so you get the binoculars up and now. You made this assumption on this spot, and you're and you can put the binoculars up at something that's 35, 40 yards away, and you're like, oh crap, that that is a scrape. I did, you know, that I thought there might be a scrape here. I didn't have to blow through here to find it. Now I can see, yeah, there's some leaves on it, but that is a scrape because I can see the licking branches banged up. And okay, you know what? Maybe I might not have thought that the the progression of movement was going to come through that exact part of this section. But now yep. I know that scrapes there. Why is it there? You know, now you can start to formulate things and not only that, but now you're paying, you know, you're giving it a little bit more focus where maybe that was the area where you're like, deer ain't going to come from there. They're going to come right down this center. But, you know, maybe the bucks are taking that less beaten trail that's five to 10 yards downwind of the main trail that you were hunting. And now you're like, oh, I got to pay attention to that because that buck might just be sneaking right down the backside. And if I'm not ready for it, all of a sudden. You know, it's all happened to us as bow hunters. All of a sudden, you look and there's a deer on a a damp a damp autumn day, and he's standing there at 20 yards, and you don't even know how he got there because you weren't looking that direction. Now maybe yep. you have that opportunity where you're you're scanning that section that you already rode off, and now you're like, "Holy oh crap!" That's I got to make sure I pay attention to that stuff. And you might not have even been able to do that if you didn't have your binoculars to clarify that. I think that's a scraper. I think that's an old rub, but now you know for sure, and now you have more confidence in giving that the attention it deserves yeah i mean dude i even use them for squirrel hunting i love
0: i love small game right i love squirrel hunting so um just just trying to pick them out and formulate like an approach and things like that with uh with you know using my binos for that that's even a ton of fun but um okay so you you pick out a spot you get to you know uh whether it's, it's cold or or you know, based on experience or scouting or whatever that you've done. um, What are you carrying? Are you, are you solely out of a saddle? And like, what's your, what's your kind of system there to get in the tree? How do you set up?
1: So up until, I think this is my second full year and it'd be my third year attempting saddle hunting. So the year before that, it was kind of like a hybrid back and forth, but Mm. now for the most part, I'm almost completely saddle hunting. Um, I will say that there is some spots on public land that I've scouted and if i can find a hemlock or a white pine or something that i can bring one stick or no sticks maybe even and obviously anyone listening to this do what's safe don't do what's easy i if i can find a tree though that i can safely climb the limbs now like i said do what's safe now what's easy don't just don't just <laughs> say that like, i'm, like, I'm going to climb up these i'm going to climb up these limbs well if they're not strong enough to hold your weight or they've got a bunch of dead branches at the bottom, don't just try to bear hug it and barely use the limb. Like Mm. we all used to as kids, you know, like do the smart thing. Don't, but I, if I can find the tree that is adequate for that situation, I love bringing a tree stand still. Cause if I mark those spots and they're in that, you know, maybe that rut corridor where that's the tree I need to be in and it's going to be an all day sit. And I know that there's no other reason why I'm going to really have to like make an on the fly decision those situations i will still use a tree stand just for the the extended comfort i guess mm-hmm. but even with that i like i had said being an arborist i think helped a lot but i'm very comfortable in a tree stand i can do or i'm sorry in a, a saddle i can do 14 hours in a saddle and not even think twice about it so yeah i i've pretty much evolved into almost strictly a saddle hunter um i've just found that it's it's a little bit easier for me. Um, not, not to say it's a plug, but I use latitude saddles mostly because they have a two panel system and that remind that comfort wise reminded me a lot of my Arborist saddle where I had one panel up onto my back and one underneath my, my buttock or my legs. Mm-hmm. So that was a, just a, like a place of comfort, but also like literally physic more physically comfortable in my opinion than a single panel saddle. So I use that. I use, uh, I normally bring three to four sticks, but I use what's called a Nader. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but Mm -hmm. for the viewing audience, if they haven't, it's a a one one inch webbing that comes up to a, a hook that would be similar to something off of like a ratchet strap that is attached near your knee with another strap that goes behind your leg to keep it on and then a loop that goes underneath your boot. So it basically gives whatever type of step your system you're using Minor double steps. I basically get a third step out of each stick. So I'll, I like to bring that because I feel like that gives me a little bit more customization with my climbing. If I need that little bit of extra reach, I can use it. If I don't need it, then it's not like an extra stick. Then I'm like, do I lower this to the base of the tree? Do I leave it attached to my backpack, you know? Kind of gives me yeah. A little you bit just more... strap
0: it on, like get your get your foot through it, and uh, I, I've tried them all. I've tried all the nader, um, you know, movable aiders, all all that stuff. Um, do, do you find that sli- the, the boot slips off of there a lot? Because I could, I had a hard time kind of keeping it like tensioned on, you know, because you got like the uh what do you, like the castration band or whatever to kind of like yeah. tighten down around your foot kind of thing, and it still really wouldn't stay on, you know. And then um, I know some of them have like a like a like a bungee tied to it so you can kind of hook it onto your uh so you never drop it you know what i mean so you can kind of hook oh. it onto your your belt or whatever do you do all that too or
1: so i never got into the sweater part of it i just run it nader so i just have the one that goes behind like attaches right at my knee area and then the like, loops down around my foot and mm-hmm. i personally have never had an issue with that coming off the only time okay. that i've ever had it come off of my actual boot is when I forget that I have it on, and then all of a sudden I'm walking out of the woods, and I'm like, what is hitting me in the leg? And it's it's still attached at my knee, but it's smacking my leg as I'm walking through the woods. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I've never had any issue with that. I always make sure that that loop is buried all the way down to the arch of my foot. I don't leave it out near the toe. Yep. And uh, then I roll that castration band down as low as I can, and I've never had an issue with it.
0: Okay. Um, so you said three, four sticks, uh how you how you carrying those, just strapped to your backpack or
1: yeah, I use the Novix mini sticks, the double steps. I mm-hmm. personally like double steps just because once again, I I'm one of those kind of people, keep it simple, stupid type of situation. I don't want to have to think about okay, I just went up with my right foot and now and my left foot. And it, it sounds so simple that it shouldn't be an issue, but I'd rather have two steps. If I want to put two steps at one height to work on something like Mm -hmm. hanging the next step i want to do that i don't want to have to like balance on one foot or something like that and uh i found that those the way that they're made they just kind of lock into each other really well i leave all of my straps on the sticks except for the last one i'll put that on the versa button i'll wrap it around all of the sticks and their straps and then back to the versa button Mm -hmm. and cinch it tight and that keeps everything really quiet and i've I'm yet to have an issue with making too much noise or anything like that. So I just run that right off the bottom of my pack. I I know a lot of backpacks will have those, you know, those two, uh, you know, just clips that, you know, to hold an extra jacket or something underneath Mm -hmm. the back. I just strap them right to that. Uh, I take my platform, strap it to the outside of my pack on the top. I run a kafaru pack as of this year. Before that, I just had like a field and stream backpack and it had the same. I had enough buckles that I could just kind of buckle everything on. And uh, I never wear my saddle in just because I've never found that to be too comfortable. I'll either stuff it in my backpack or I'll put it between my back and the um, actual backpack itself and just let the bags hang through the the actual straps of the backpack. Mm -hmm. I found that that saves me a lot of space in my backpack when I need it for, let's say, this time of year when it's really cold outside and uh instead of stuffing the saddle in there that I'm gonna have to put on first like right when I get to the tree anyway so I found that that was that was, those were probably the two easiest ways for me to get all my stuff into the tree
0: do you use uh you said you are you using the, the latitude platform as well or using something else
1: uh I actually at the time had just found, I found a predator platform on mm-hmm. a facebook market place type of deal and uh bought it off a guy doing that and i haven't switched yet i do like the look of the new latitude platforms like the the x-wing and stuff like that have me interested but i'm also like i still wear a chamois shirt that my dad gave me when i first started hunting and at that point was way oversized and now it kind of fits me because he's a little (laughs) bit bigger dude than i am so let's put it this way this year I finally spent a couple hundred dollars on new camouflage and up till then it was as many hoodies as I could put on and as many like, you know, under armor shirts I had from playing sports that I could put on to stay warm. I was never someone that that really invested a lot into new gear so much. Cause I'd rather yep. save that money and be able to use it towards gas to go out and do what I want. Amen to that, yeah. So, you know, I never really got behind spending a lot of money. I did try some different technical clothing and realized that the true benefits of it. And uh, so I did make an investment this year in some stuff. But to to the point I'm trying to make is once I had the Predator platform, I know there might be things I might even like more. But uh, I'm not the one to to just spend money to keep trying new stuff. If so, I got something that works, it's either got to break or stop working for me for me really to change most of the time
0: got it now um you are shooting well you hunt with everything right i mean i've I've, I've seen your videos with rifles i've seen your videos with compounds uh trad bows what do you what do you um are you partial to one one type of weapon or another or what what are you doing
1: i've told people since as long as i can remember if i had to give up everything and only hunt with one weapon it would be i'd keep the bow yeah so when COVID came around, and with you deep de- diving into trad, trad bows and stuff like that, you might have even seen this picture, but, um, and I apologize if I'm bouncing around a little bit, but trying to give a little backstory. Um, there's a picture of Fred Bear, and if, if the viewer or the listeners look this up, you just type in, like, Fred Bear dragging a buck or Fred Bear buck drag, something like that. There's a picture of Fred Bear with a buck behind him. His longbow or recurve at the time is strung between the rack of the buck and he's using the recurve in conjoinment with the rack of the buck to drag the deer out of the woods. And ever since I saw that picture, I said, I'm going to kill the (laughs) buck with the recurve. I don't know (laughs) when, but at some point in my life, I'm going to do it. So COVID rolls around. I always wanted to even just practice and, you know, shoot a recurve and, uh, so i found a recurve on facebook or maybe craigslist whatever it was local guy had probably two dozen arrows with it that were all just those really thick carbon ones the big ones with real feathers on them and everything and i just started plugging away in the backyard getting on like the push forum and getting on all these different groups and just trying to figure out you know what is what are people doing what is the way of shooting i enjoy do i want to be you know three under split finger like all those things that anyone that's ever dove into the the traditional space has tried to figure out and um from that point i just became infatuated with it and it's it's interesting because i tell people like when i shoot my compound i love taking 80 90 100 yard shots not it not at animals but just i love seeing the arc of the arrow and that it comes out of the bow so fast and it's just there's something that's just so um, fulfilling, making those shots.
0: Yeah. You don't get and to watch it till it is 50, 60 yards out. But with a the, with the stick bow, you get, the, you get that experience to 15 yards.
1: Right. And that's what I was about <laughs> to say. That's what I told my buddies. I was like, dude, I am having like the time of my life shooting at 20 yards, 30 yards, which might not even be right now. I would say if I shot a deer at 20, that'd be my max. Mm-hmm. And after shooting a deer with it, I don't even know if I'd want to shoot that far. It felt like, felt like the thing was, had molasses slowing it down the whole way there. But um, yeah, just like that same infatuation came back with it of just, you know, shooting 20, 30 yards and, you know, just seeing that arrow go to right where you want it to, or or even honestly, when I didn't want it to go and like trying to figure out how do I do this where I can have enough consistency that I feel comfortable Even attempting to bring this out into the woods. Yeah. So at this point, I don't. To to get back to your question, I don't know that I could say I have a hundred percent decided recurve over traditional. I definitely. I'm sorry, compound over traditional. Yeah. But I would definitely give up all my guns before I gave up any of my bows. I can say that for sure. Wow, that's uh, that's that's quite a that's quite a. So what recurve do you have again then? So, I had got a Ben Pearson from the guy that I had found on uh, uh marketplace or marketplace or whatever it yeah. was um that was a forty five pound bow which everyone said was fine, but just i don't know if it was me mentally or whatever it was it just I wanted to get to fifty that was really where I wanted to be
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh so I found another gentleman on i think traditional buy sell classified or traditional bow hunters classified something like that on a facebook yep. group and uh he he had posted a multitude of bows at at one time and i saw him i was like oh okay well that's cool to know that people are selling bows on here and uh probably two three months later he posted another group of them so i had, i contacted him about two or three of them that i thought that i i just really liked the way they looked really more than anything they were a similar um uh length to the to the one that i had i think mine was a fifth i think mine was a 52 and this one was like a 58 or whatever that i ended up getting or something along those lines and uh it's a it's an ilf bow but i'm not exactly sure even i think it's like eastern something eastern mountain eastern mountain view outdoors or something like that it's not like a hoy it looks very similar to a point Satori, but it's, uh, it's like just a different, not as pronounced name. Um, yeah. Brand bow. And as soon as I got it, I just shot the lights out of it. I shot so much better than I shot that Ben Pearson for whatever reason. And, uh, the combination of that time of, you know, through COVID up until this year, having all that time to practice shooting and just get down my form, then getting this Mm -hmm. new bow. I just, I said to myself, this is going to be the year I'm going to try to harvest any deer, uh, you know, buck or doe wise, at least, um, with the recurve and I was, and you did. Sick, and I was dead set on doing it. And I got, <laughs> I got lucky enough to do it. We did That's- get a, uh, in New York, in my specific area of New York, they added a doe only season in September. And I will say that that gave me even that much more confidence to go out because I didn't have that, like well, what if the giant buck walks out at 25 yards? What do I do, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it was like, I knew when I went in, I was only harvesting a doe. It didn't matter what buck I saw. It could be a world record and it wasn't going to change anything. So now is the opportunity. You've killed enough does in your life. Go out there and, you know, go through the paces and try your best to harvest the doe. And I I I was blessed enough to be able to do that. So I did get my first uh, traditional harvest this year.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Like I guess I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still knocking on the door. I mean, I'm close and close. And this year I had lots of close encounters, but, uh, you know, I, I counted, I counted 11 distinct sits like targeted, like, like for real, not kind of walking around midday for a couple hours at actual sits. Yeah. And I had encounters on uh, 20 yards. Most of them are 15 and under um on four of those so that's like a 30 something percent average i'm pretty proud of that oh, but yeah. b- behind brush or behind just you know one three trees off i keep saying you know i keep telling everybody i'm like three trees off but um you know it's just just lack of time too to be to be able to you know i don't think i'm going to be able to get back out there um before the end of because we end our deer season ends on the 31st here
1: Oh, um, okay. but
0: but small game goes to the end of february so you know I've right I've, yeah I've had, uh you know, I'm, I'm up, I'm up to five squirrels and a rabbit this year. So I'm, I'm proud of that one too. <laughs> now is that, do you do that? I all love, of, I love small game.
1: Do you do a lot of that with the traditional bow as well? It sounded like you I did? do. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep, awesome. absolutely. Absolutely. That's yeah. something that I keep thinking about. I was like, well, that'd be a great way to get some shooting in. And then I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I want to keep wasting arrows. Cause I wait, you know, i dang ding them off a, a tree branch here when I'm shooting in the backyard and I can't find it. I go, if I start shooting at rabbits, I might lose all my arrows. Well, the good
0: thing is like, you're shooting into the ground, right? You're shooting downwards. Right. Um,
1: yeah.
0: whether, and, and, I, and I used to, you know, when I had a compound, I would, uh, um, squirrel hunt with that thing too. I learned a long time ago, like, unless they're like flat up against and you're shooting a blunt, which I don't shoot blunts anymore. I shoot broadheads, but, um, unless they're like flat up against the tree trunk mm-hmm. uh, and you're just going to like smack them into it and they're going to fall down. I, I stopped shooting, uh, you know, <laughs> squirrels off of limbs and things like that, you know, because you just, you just lose arrows, you know, so easily. But um, you, you probably discover this too. Like the, one of the best parts, I think, of just walking around the woods with a stick bow in your hand is just all the all the stump shooting you get to do. And I don't even shoot at stumps. I shoot at like clumps of dirt or whatever, because you never know if a stump is like too hard, and you know, next thing you know, you, you know, you, you smack into it and you know break an arrow or, or blows right. the knock off the other end you never find the knock the knock in a leaf litter and stuff like that so
1: um
0: but yeah it's just it's just a ton of fun like
1: a ton of. oh yeah I, my walks out of the woods take twice as long now because i'll be walking out and be like what is that <laughs> what is that cornstalk okay it's you know and like i said i just love seeing the arrow fly so will yep. i ever shoot at a deer at 35 40 yards with the the trad bow probably not but i'm definitely going to shoot at that that dandelion in the grass As I'm walking down the hill Towards the property line Or something like that Just to see What does this bow even do What is What is What is the extent Of my abilities When it comes mm-hmm. to And 90% of the time I don't even hit the stuff But I'm close enough Where I'm like Oh okay wow So that's That would have been a kill Yeah yeah You know That's how much it drops This is how much that happens And yeah I just I love all that kind of stuff That's actually something That I did Last year A lot more Was um I had filled my Buck tag with the bow with my compound though and then I had uh, already killed a deer with the gun another buck and I, my dad was still hunting so I was like well I'm gonna come out and film for you dude like I don't need I don't need to kill one just to say I killed another one I'd rather make some more memories with you it's not often we we both get to hunt together anymore so I would actually bring the recurve when he was bow hunting or gun hunting at the t- at, you know as the season progressed and Um, every time I went to get out of the tree though, I always had a feel, I always have a field tip with me. And right before we get out of the tree, I'd pick some object, whether it be a stump, a stick, uh, that one bright golden maple leaf in a, in Mm -hmm. a field of brown leaves or whatever. I'd say, okay, that's what I'm going to try to hit. And that, the confidence that that gave me as an archer, when it, when it came to using my recurve, just it put it, that was another one of those uh, like pinnacle moments that gave me the confidence to then do what I did this year and actually take it with the serious hopes of being the first person shooter. I'm going to try to harvest an animal with this because I was like, I, everything that I've been picking, I've been either hitting or I'm right in that, you know, you know, a teacup plate sized area right around it where I'm like, okay, yeah, I know nerves are going to come into this, but I have the confidence that I know I can do this out of, uh, Elevated position, or I can do this, like you said, from the ground as I'm stump shooting, walking out of the woods, and that is such a valuable thing that I didn't realize why people thought it was. And it's fun. I mean, like you said, it's so much fun. But (laughs) just the confidence that it gave me to say, like, I'm not just in my backyard. I've got all my hunting gear on, and I'm hitting what I'm aiming for, just gave me that, like, I know I'm not going. I'm not going to have a doubt in my mind that I. Oh, what if I? What if I wound this? What if I? uh, Because that's when I think people that buck fever you know or deer fever you know it's it's not a buck it's whatever whatever gets you going but yeah uh that's that's when people make bad shots is when you're not confident every time I've ever drawn back the bow and said this deer is gonna die I've killed the deer you know even even in the like that one story I told earlier where I did make the bad shot I drew back and when I let that arrow fly I was so confident that it was gonna go right where I aimed it and Looking at it through in retrospect, the arrow was going where right I where I aimed it. I just made a poor decision based on the the animal's body language to take that shot. Like I said, did harvest a deer, but now going forward, I'll never take. Yeah, that shot.
0: duck spun around and. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not yeah. worth.
1: It's not worth what it could have turned into. I just got the better end of the stick in that situation.
0: What, what do you shoot on the compound side?
1: Uh, I shoot a Hoyt Ventum. It's, uh, it's like two okay. years old now. I. I went through this phase of thinking that I had to buy it. I, I, now I'm now I'm going to go against what I said about 10 minutes ago. I <laughs> went through this phase of thinking that I just needed the best, newest, greatest bow. So every year, every other year, I kept buying a new bow. So I had a bow, bought one, sold it, bought another one, killed my biggest buck of my life with that bow, killed uh, my first turkey with that bow, killed multiple other does and a couple of small bucks. Two years go by and I'm like, I need a new bow. I need to get the new best thing. Sold that bow to my best friend that I talked about earlier that's into waterfowl and now back into deer hunting. He killed four bucks in that time frame to include a mule deer with me out in Nebraska that was bigger than any mule deer I've shot. And actually, I hadn't even killed one at that point, even though I had been on the trip the year before. He came the second year and killed a giant mule deer. All with the same bow that had such good, we always joke around, must have had good juju because that thing's just been killing deer ever since it came out of the box. And uh, I had a bow, didn't kill maybe a doe or two with that one and just never could get comfortable with it. And then finally this new one that I bought, um, it just felt just like that bow that I had sold to him. I don't know what Hoyt did that the grip and the draw cycle felt the same, but I told him, I was like, this one feels good. I'm not selling this thing for a while because – it's killed some deer already. And now I need to make sure that I just stick with what works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, some bows just kind of have that, you know, they they just kind of gel with you, you know what I mean? And you're like, why did I ever sell that? You know, no no, no matter what. So are you thinking like, um, uh, like, like going into next next, obviously we haven't even wrapped up this year yet, right? Like going into next year um are you still thinking like take the stick bow for some does and then you know if you're like kind of like targeting a buck or something like that they're gonna go with the compound or or stick one way or another or what what are you thinking
1: so it's a long way you probably- might change
0: your mind 10 times but yeah
1: but yeah so um this year i probably hello? carried hello are you there yeah we're back
0: yeah, there we go. Yeah, okay. I almost got through the end of this episode without it doing it again. But.
1: I was going to say, we got so close. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I uh, this year I probably carried the compound 85% of the time and the recurve the other percents, yeah. and I really just went off the of field. There was days I woke up and I was like, I just want to take the stick bow today. I don't know why. There's no, there's no specific reason. The tree stand doesn't set up any better for a stick bow versus a compound, but that's what I want to take today. And uh, I think that's kind of how I'm going to go into next season. There was – there's, like I said, I think there's going to probably be maybe more days, just like when I got into saddle hunting, there were some days where I said, I just got to stick with the tree stand. Cause it's what I know. And there's other days where I said, I'm going to just take the saddle cause we'll figure it out. And I think yeah. as time progresses, I could see myself getting at least 50, 50, if not more on the recurve side, because I did really enjoy it. And there was just something, there was just something so cool about the, the close contact aspect that I was with those does and in, and, telling myself like the the gig isn't up the game isn't over just because I didn't get that shot off it doesn't mean that like it's over you know I was getting half I got half drawn on these does probably six or seven times and it's just so quiet and smooth you don't have that big abrupt like drawback and hold like you do with the compound Mm -hmm. where I probably could have killed her on the first attempt right when she came out because even when she got to where she could I could have just leaned around the tree and shot but I knew where I wanted to shoot her. I knew the perfect broadside opportunity I was going to have. And she kept working back and forth before she finally came right to the edge of the field where I needed to shoot her. And, you know, it it took that next evolution of the patience and knowing, take the the best shot that you can ethically. Don't just take a shot type of thing. So I think, like I said, I think next year, it's kind of going to be more of a uh, let my heart tell me what I want to hear. When the, when the moment comes and just kind of go from there. Like I said, I do truly enjoy the, the recurve and I'd love to get at least a buck with it uh, before my time is done, which hopefully is very, very far from now. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I could see though, if, I, if I'm able to harvest a buck with it, I could see that probably being another kickstart pushing me in the direction of carrying it more than the compound
0: yeah and and there's nothing wrong with either way you know what i mean i mean oh sure yeah it's i mean whatever um you know i like both um i kind of sad like i said i I sold mine old one years ago and i don't really like feel like carrying it in the woods but every now and then i'm like yeah i kind of want it back just for you know a a few shots out of kind of thing so um and and even with like my my long bows and recurves now i go through the same thing like which one do i want to take right um And you go through, like, weeks of, like, man, I'm shooting this bow, like, really well this week. And then the next week, it could be, like, the worst bow that's ever been in your hand. I don't know why I even chose this bow. I can't shoot it, you know. And then two weeks later, it's, like, your favorite bow again because you guys can't miss together. So, it's – I I go through – I think everyone goes through the, you know, that whole uh, thought process, you know. So, yeah. So have you found a difference in being able to draw and shoot and get, get in like, you know, kind of hang in a tree, uh, between when, when you're doing a saddle between a compound and a recurve, do you have, do you have enough, um, do you have enough sits, you know, to, to be able to compare?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say honestly with, if this, if I'm understanding your question correctly, the, the saddle has not affected my ability to shoot the compound versus recurve any differently i will say obviously the axle to axle on my compound is substantially different than the length of the recurve and that is something i've had to learn like mm. what kind of clearance i need from branches that are overhead or underfoot or in front of me so that that part did change some of it cuz you don't have as compact of a piece of equipment as you do with the compound yep. but personally i don't know if it's just my natural build or the the couple of bows I've had in a tree, but string angle and stuff like that, my saddle and, uh, you know, my tether, none of that stuff has ever gotten in the way. I, I am a big proponent of whatever you're doing, sitting on the ground, sitting in a tree, a tree stand, a saddle, practice draws, figure out what you can do, what you can't do. I think that I personally think actually being in the saddle, I'm more comfortable shooting the recurve. Only because in a tree stand I would be more comfortable standing shooting the recurve, rather mm-hmm. than sitting. Where I shot a bunch of deer sitting down with the compound because of the compactness of it. But yep. with the battle, you're already standing. There's no additional movement to get to that point. So I I felt even more comfortable being in that because it was just get the bow in your hand and you're already you're already one step ahead of what I would have had to have done in a tree stand with the with the uh, recurve or, or any stick bow
0: yeah i just found that uh, le- leaning trees um leaning trees are my uh nemesis with um with a stick bow you know uh compound it, it's a little to me it's a little easier uh you know draw back get back to you know uh over the hump right kind of thing and you're mm-hmm. it, it, um at your let off and then you can kind of swing around and get away with more sorry you can get away with less upper body strength um, because sure. once once the you know once the bow is back, I mean you're holding like what 15 you know anywhere from like 10 to 15 pounds, right? Sure. Whereas um, with the stick bow, I've found it a lot harder if I'm trying to fight not sw- you know because you're a pendulum, you know what I mean? You, right. you swing to the low side, um, then you're fighting that plus you're trying to fight uh, getting a stable lower. Uh, like platform but not like standing on a platform like your lower body being like a right you know your platform that you, you know the upper body you know you know kind of moves off of um i just had i just had some some issues with that so i'm kind of doing i went back to a tree stand i'm kind of doing the hybrid because i I, I once did climb um and i'm using my my saddle as my you know harness when i went, when i'm in the tree you know oh, yeah. um but I've, I've gone back to uh tree. And I, nothing against the saddle it's just if the tree has any kind of lean to it, it 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 takes away, you know, a lot of shot opportunities for me. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, just, it's, 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 it's just it's interesting
1: because I, I know a lot of guys, people, or a lot of people say um, that they like having a tree that just barely leans towards you when you go up it because then, you know, you can kind of push away, you know, instead of it trying to suck you on either side of the tree type of thing. yeah But I tend to find that Though I won't avoid a tree with any kind of lean, I I still look for relatively straight, straight-ish, you know, like not a lot of lean in either direction type of thing, which I know people argue like, "Oh, that's the benefit of the saddle. You can go in any tree." And I really that's find true, yeah. my my benefit of the saddle is, you know, outside of using a sticks and mm-hmm. tree stand setup my next option was gonna be a climber and that's what I hunt out of for years. And in that situation, you had to have a tree with no branches
0: mm-hmm. to
1: get to a height that you had to. So that's where my advantage came to using the saddle was, I can hunt out of any tree I want. I can go around those branches. I can go up past those branches. And on top of the fact, I don't have to try to pull up a tree stand if I decided to <clears throat> sneak between these three branches to get to this next position. You know, now I don't have a string that's going all the way down to the ground, trying to pull a tree stand up through all that, banging it off branches and all the noisy things, you know? So I, I kind of found the advantage to the stealth aspect and the ability to hunt out of more trees more so than like worrying about a lean. I still tend to gravitate towards straighter trees. I'm just obviously not deterred by, you know, the, the branches and all those kind of things that would have made it more difficult for either a big tree stand or a climbing stand
0: yeah it, it's all a trade-off one way or another you know oh, i'm still for sure. waiting for the for the, the hoverboard to be invented you know what i mean that yeah, way you right. just, just you can <laughs> get up to any height feet feet you want you, it you could want be it. stable you just shoot off of that you don't have to worry about yeah that's but uh, uh anything other than that then you're you know you're, you're making compromises one way or another and i guess that's just part of that's part of the fun too of like kind of analyzing and overanalyzing your, your your kit you know um oh, it's like sure. man you know how, how far do i want to walk and if i do that do i want to carry this combination of sticks and stand or this combination of saddle or do, you know blah 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 you know so uh, that's that's part of the fun too of just kind of playing that whole uh gear the gear game you know the setup game kind of thing oh definitely so um wow so we're like an hour and 20 into this dude uh we should probably Thank start you. trying to wrap it up here um any any uh how much how much longer you got in in your season here what's what's uh what's on the horizon for you for the for the rest of uh rest of whatever season you got left here
1: yeah so we uh yesterday just closed up our um we had a late archery slash muzzleloader season that closed yesterday uh New York State does this awesome thing it's it's such a backhanded situation because i love the opportunity it gives to hunters because opportunity is like the seed for you know, generations to come, you know, the more opportunity you give someone to be involved in something, the better chance you're going to have people that are going to back it up in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I hate that they keep extending our seasons, but a couple of years ago they added that early doe season I told you about. Then we have a a month-long or two-month-long bow season, a month-long gun season. Right after that closed, we opened up this bow slash muzzleloader season I just spoke about that closed yesterday now we're closed until the day after christmas and then we're open until the day after new year's and then our deer season is officially closed at that point okay so i have so next week i'll probably try to get out a little bit that one piece i told you about with the wide buck on it um i hunted that the other day actually with the recurve people were laughing at me they're like oh it's the last day of season you're gonna make it that hard on yourself and i was like ah it's not just about killing a deer you know like i I don't need to go out with a muzzle loader. It doesn't do anything really for me. It, I'd rather harvest another deer with the bow. And today I didn't feel like taking my compound. So I brought the recurve. Yeah. So I'll, I'll probably try to get out a little bit with either the compound or the stick bow uh, next week after work, because that, that piece with the wide buck on it is so close. It's only three, four minutes down the road for me, which is a, a amazingly refreshing uh, situation yeah. i had this year, because that's most of my spots are 45 minutes and my favorite spots are an hour and a half. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You, yeah, you can't not hunt it. <laughs> right. That's what I mean. It's like those days where I was like, you know, do I really feel like getting out right now or should I get something done? It's like, no dude, go hunting. Cause you're going to hunt for an hour and you can still do the laundry at home. It's going to be there. Exactly. When you get, yep.
0: Yep. You know, back in plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. So especially
1: now it's like when it gets dark as early as it does, you know, I got a couple of straggling hours of uh, PTO I could use if I really feel so inclined to. So maybe I'll burn out an hour or two early, just give myself enough time to get into the tree quietly and, you know, hunt that last two hours of daylight and be home by 530. Is a uh, waterfowl done for you guys yet? Or? Uh, so we, uh, our water, our duck season in the Western part of the state right here, our state's broken up like crazy, but, um, where I live is open until January 1st. So that leaves me maybe Saturday to hunt, but with this the, the ice, honestly, the, the icing over situation with the wind is what's going to probably ruin Saturday, I'm thinking. Not for mm-hmm. the ducks, but just, like, I'm not going to risk my life driving over over trying to shoot some ducks. Yeah, so. it'll
0: probably be great for
1: waterfowl hunting. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. There's a spot that I have on a river that if I could be there, I'd, I'd teleport there because we hunted it last yeah. weekend. And as soon as the weather got crappy last Saturday you couldn't keep them out of our spread we couldn't hit half Uh, of them you know we still we still had a great time but they were just right there in our face it's like they couldn't see and as soon as they saw the decoys they just turned into them so i'd love to be there on saturday but if we get the 70 mile an hour winds they're calling for and the icing over all that it's i think my mom would hang me from the tree out front when i came over yeah you don't want to die going going hunting so yeah. yeah so So uh, I'd like to hunt then. I don't know if I'll be able to, but we close, like I said, the 1st of January. So that'll leave me a couple of days I might be able to sneak out. Maybe this, you know, New Year's Eve type of thing. And then uh, we have goose season that closes like January 15th. And then after that, it's just rabbits and squirrels if me and my buddies want to get out. So we're looking towards the end of all the seasons here pretty soon. But like I said, our, our, our small game, our rabbit, grouse, squirrel, all that, that closes like February 28th or something so there's some time yeah, left for us, that.
0: us too yep yep
1: yep so well cool man um how about you tell everybody where they can follow follow you oh definitely uh so most of the stuff I do is on Instagram uh YouTube I actually took a little bit of a hiatus this year just life kind of happened and I re-evaluated some stuff so I definitely will be getting more into YouTube and I guess you'd be the first one to hear this because I've just had some conversations with the girlfriend and stuff, but um, I think I'm actually going to make a short film from all the footage this year and put that out instead of uh, the normal episodes that I have just because I haven't been editing, like I said, just with life happening. So I'm thinking about I'm going to put out a short uh, movie type of situation, and that would be on my YouTube, like you said earlier, is uh, Hitting the Dream, but it's H-I-I-T, I-N-G, The Dream. Um, And then my Instagram is the same thing. So if you guys follow it on YouTube, there's a a good chance I'm going to be coming out with a short movie. And then um, I'm thinking then later on rolling into next year season, I'll put out those similar vloggy type of episodes that were the stuff that happened this year to kind of get the ramp up going into next season. And then I'll get back to maybe the episodes uh weekly because that's what i like to try to do i like try to get one out weekly so they're nice and timely for people to watch but yeah all my stuff is pretty much instagram and youtube and it's all hitting the dream and it once again it's h-i-i-t-i-n-g what is it what does that stand for yeah so it's just in quick it's a it's actually an acronym that i came up with when i like i had said earlier in the podcast and it's perfect probably brings the podcast to a full circle but um you know i was raised with a lot of like you better respect the animals you're hunting or else you're not doing it. You better respect the nature. You know, it, there's, it, it's everything that's happening is a lot bigger than me. So when I started to do this, I wanted to try to find something that encompassed, you know, the, the moral pathway, if you want to call it that, that I was raised with as a, um, as an outdoorsman. And then just kind of the different things that encompass who I am as an outdoorsman. So it's H I I T and um so it originally started as hit outdoors but um the acronym is h honor i integrity i instinct and then t tradition and those like i said are all either like moral compasses that i follow or things that are just very big parts of how i navigate you know my outdoor life so it was kind of like that and then uh the idea for hitting the dream was just a play off of living the dream because uh, when I'm doing those things and I'm in the outdoors, I'm I'm living my best life. I'm living my dream. And so that's hitting the dream.
0: That's awesome, dude. I love that. I, yeah. I, I knew that. I think I uh, um, when I first started following you, I think I I somehow read that or, or heard that or whatever. but Then I, I kind of forgotten. So, no, I, I like I like that. I like what you do on your channel. Um, looking forward to the movie, but definitely also looking forward to the other other videos you put out, too, because uh, your, your enthusiasm kind of comes through. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty cool to watch. So you know, look, looking, definitely looking forward to, to more of that. So, um, so stick with me here while we, uh, while we hang up, stop recording, but thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Um, and, you know, definitely, uh, everybody go check them out. Everybody have a Merry Christmas, uh, you know, Happy New Year, all that stuff. I probably won't put anything out for another few weeks here, just getting through the new, you know, New Year's Christmas, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's been tough just time-wise, you know, getting, uh, getting these out, you know, regularly scheduled like, like I used to, but, you know, I mean, everyone's hunting, I'm hunting family time, all that stuff. And it kind of comes first. So, uh, I guess with that note, everybody please like share and subscribe and uh, I'll see you guys in the new year. Thanks.